As you head back, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever felt stuck before? Felt stuck? Maybe it was a ring that you had on and your finger has grown for whatever reason and you can't get the ring back off. Maybe it's a pair of pants that you have no business getting into in the first place, but once you got on, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get this off. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe you have gotten your, your foot stuck somewhere, or if you were little, you, got, you put your head through a railing and then found, hey, I can't get back out. I need somebody else to help me get unstuck. So all of, there's a lot of us that have felt that way, right? So there was a time in my life where I used to climb trees. I don't climb trees anymore. Um, I don't climb trees mostly because my body doesn't move the way it used to, but I am not interested in testing the structural integrity of a tree nowadays. If a tree can hold me up, then it's a really solid tree. Uh, so I don't want to test that out anymore, but when I was little, I used to climb trees all the time, and especially this one tree in my front yard. And I would climb it every single day. I would go up there. I would bring snacks. And I would act like I was the king of the world as I sat up there. And there was this one day that I decided that I was going to climb higher than I ever climbed before. And so I got really high up there. And I got so high up that it got to the point where the branches were no longer stationary. It started to move a little bit with my weight. And then I noticed that I couldn't move my one leg anymore, and I got it stuck between two branches. And so now I am really high up. I'm like seven years old, and this branch is not letting me go. I started to get a little anxious. Have you ever felt claustrophobic before, or you couldn't move, and you're like, I need to get out of here, but I can't. Um, that's where I was, is I was stuck and I couldn't move. And it occurred to me that because I was so high up, because the branches were moving every which way, um, if I tried harder to get out, the more movement, the more, likely, the, the more likely it was that I was eventually going to fall. And so I needed somebody to climb up there and get me unstuck. And so I think that there are a lot of times in life we can relate to being stuck, and there are times that we needed somebody to come along and help set us free, to get us out of the situation that we are in, and without their help, we would still be in that moment stuck and unable to get out. And I want to talk to you today about our great emancipation. We have heard a lot of stories in the news today about the Civil War and, and various different monuments and things like that. Well, one of the great things that came out of the Civil War was the Emancipation Proclamation where Abraham Lincoln said to all of the slaves, you are now set free. And how many of you know enough of history to know that despite that it's, despite that proclamation, there have been many who have lived throughout, decade, throughout the decades here and, and even longer uh, in this country that have not experienced freedom in the way that that document proclaims. 
There are many that never experienced it that way, and they live the rest of their lives supposedly being free, but never experiencing that freedom. And I think that there are many of us today who are followers of Christ who have been set free by Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross and because of his resurrection, but for whatever reason, we choose to live in bondage today. It is not through anything else that causes us to live in eternal bondage. It is not anything else. There's not a slave master that is more powerful than Jesus Christ. There is not a political system that is higher than God's kingdom. So when Jesus Christ has set us free for all of eternity, which means we can experience some of those effects here on this earth, there is nothing in place that can stand in the way between us and that freedom except for us. Sometimes we get in the way of ourselves from experiencing that freedom. And today, I want to declare to you today that this is the day of your emancipation. This is the day of your liberation, of you being set free once and for all, and you to pursue forward exactly where God has called you to be. Are you ready? Will you turn with me to Ruth chapter 3? Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 1. For those of you who weren't here last week, we discussed the first two chapters of the book of Ruth, and we discussed a little bit of what it looks like to respond to the needs around us in a godly way. And we discussed a lot of things that are here on this earth that we deal with and how to, and how to respond to those needs. This week, we're going to be ta- taking a look a little bit of the eternal aspects of, of the things that we need. The fact that we need a loving God, the fact that we need a redeemer, the fact that we need salvation, and we cannot provide for that on our own. So as we take a look at these next two chapters of Ruth, we're going to be taking a look at how God has reached down and supplied a need that nobody else could provide. And without his help and without his protection and provision, we would still remain stuck, still remain in this state of imprisonment and entanglement. And without him, we would be there for all of eternity. So let's take a look at Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak. Go down to the threshing floor But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And then Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman was at his feet. That would startle anybody. It would startle me. There's not normally a woman at my feet. 
So there's that. Verse 9. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So, if you are a parent, and you have a young daughter, how many of you would have given this advice? Hey, that young man that you really like over there, why don't you break into his bedroom Uncover his feet so that he'll get cold. And then lay down so that when he wakes up, he realizes you're there. And not only are you there, you put on your best cloak, you got showered, you got all your perfume on. You made sure that you look good and now you're there waiting for him to wake up and notice you. Nobody would have given this advice. So let's acknowledge this for what it was. This was a bold move on, be on behalf of Ruth. Now, clearly, she wasn't making any advances. She didn't say, the first thing that she said is, I want you to save me. You are a redeemer. Please, notice me, save me. So clearly, she wasn't interested in anything naughty. However, what she did there certainly went up to the edge to get that person's attention. And if it wasn't that edgy, then at the end of the chapter, there would have been no need for her to sneak out so that nobody would see her. But she had to sneak away. Why? Because at, especially in that culture, at that time, that's not something that women are supposed to be doing. Men are supposed to be there, not women. And so why was Boaz there to begin with? Well, he was there, he was separating his crop, he was deciding what is usable and what is not usable, getting it ready to be sold. And as it's there over the night, anybody can just walk in and take it. So Boaz is sleeping there, not because he has some super uh, special attachment of sleeping with barley, is it's like that's more comfortable than sleeping in his own bed. No, he's there protecting his investment. There isn't supposed to be anybody else there. In fact, this was an opportunity for a lot of immorality to happen. And if you take a look at the book of Hosea in chapter 9, it talks about how the threshing floor would often be used by prostitutes for immorality. So what she is doing there, she is not acting like a prostitute, but she is certainly putting herself in the situation that says, this is a bold move on my part. I'm making a bold request to you, Boaz. I want you to save me. This is a bold move. And so let's take a look at why she, what was her basis? This is a random thing to, have, to, to request of somebody. What does she mean? What is, where is she even coming from? In Leviticus chapter 25, starting with verse 25, we see where she is coming from. This is a book of laws that God had given his people. And so this is something that God put in the law himself, and it's this. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. 
And so here, this is talking about if your brother becomes poor and he needs to sell his property, then the closest relative can come along and buy it back for him. And so keep in mind who Ruth is here in this situation. She is not related to Boaz. Her husband was. And she is a Moabite woman. So here a Moabite woman, somebody who is a stranger to Israel, comes along and incites a Jewish law in this way to a Jewish man. That's a bold move. That's a bold request. And she is basically asking somebody who is not her former husband's brother, will you please buy this land and give it back to us? That takes guts. I know a lot of times that people have asked me bold things before, and my response has not been, sure. It's been, um, why, what is this business of mine? And so here, this is a bold move on behalf of Ruth. She also, by the way she is asking, and the way Boaz has responded, she is also asking for something else. She is asking for a husband. She finds that law in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall, be not, shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go to her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. So she takes this extra step forward. Please don't only buy this thing and give it back to us, but I want you to be my husband. That's a bold move. And for her as a Moabite woman, the ground that she is standing on is a little shaky. I think a lot of times that some of us, we get battered by life so much that we are just waiting for a break. We are just waiting for something to come along and we don't know what else to do and for whatever reason, we just have enough and we decide, I am gonna boldly move this way and do something far drastic than what could ever be done before. I've been, I'm stuck in this job. I don't know what else to do with it. I'm, I, I, it. Nothing is happening. I need to quit this job and move on to something that will provide for me better. That is a bold move. Some of you may be at the point where you are now moving away to college and you are uh, going away from your home and you're there and you're going to be at a college and learning things and learning what God has for you. That is a bold move. Some of you uh, need to consider what it would look like to separate yourself from a poisonous relationship in your life that is doing nothing but dragging you down and you need to make a bold move move that says, I am severing myself from poison so that I can embrace the life that God actually has for me. Some of us need to know what it looks like to make this bold move and to do uh, what Ruth has found herself doing here. How many of you enjoy Major League Baseball? Not nearly as much as the first service. <laughs> which makes me a little bit sad because that's what my illustration is about. <laughs> it's okay. 
Um, I've been to, I've, part of being a, at a baseball game that is different than watching it uh, on, t- on the television or watching it online is, is that you, you have all these characters around you. You have the guy who is just way too happy, way too excited, way too involved. He's the guy that leads everybody in the chants. You have the seventh inning stretch. You have people who are singing at various different songs that are being sung. And then you have all of the stuff that is happening with the mascots and whatever, and they're doing their things and making people laugh. And there's also the idea of getting a foul ball. Anyone ever catch a foul ball in a baseball game before? Is there nothing better than that? How many of you have never had that opportunity? I, did, I, I, I had it once, and then a drunken man next to me took it out of my hand. I'm not kidding. To this day, it bothers me. I want to meet him one more time and discuss that. Um, but uh, catching a foul ball, it seems like everyone is excited about it. And if you, if there's, if, if the ball girl or the ball boy gets this ball that didn't get into the stands but is still a foul ball, then as they pick it up, you see a whole stand of people going crazy. Give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. And so there, there's this one ball boy who went and grabbed that ball and he decided that he was going to make a bold move, a bold gesture. He saw somebody in the crowd Somebody that thought, I would like to get to know a little bit better. And so he decided that he was going to use his position as a ball boy to make this bold move on behalf, uh, on, uh, for, for the sake of them getting to know each other a little bit better. Let's take a look. Well, here's Kevin Fennell for you folks. Kevin down on the left field line, down by the bullpen, and his first shot, nice slide, and watch what he does. He finds... Who's he going to give this ball to? Yep. Jump over the seat and. Well, we've been telling yep. him he's doing the right thing. And, and here's why. He's. Oh, okay. Now, remember that one, okay? He just. <laughs> this, one, this one, all the folks are looking for the baseball. And Kevin, who are you going to go? Uh, yeah. You want another one? Okay. <laughs> and they booed him. The fans booed Kevin. Not booed Kevin. <laughs> That's a good move. They booed him. He went out to back him. They're booing him again now that he's. he's protecting Jerry Blevins. See, everyone wants a foul ball, and so they were actually booing that guy for doing that. But that guy saw that young lady and decided that every single foul ball that came my way is going to go to that young lady. I don't care if 80 of them come that way. She is going to leave with a bucket of baseballs. And so baseball after baseball came to her, and she eventually, at the end of the game, went to him, and they actually went out and they became boyfriend and girlfriend. I have no idea if they married and lived happily ever after, but that was a bold gesture on the heart of that man who'd said, I want to get to know that young lady a little bit better. And so for a lot of us today, we are faced with this one thing. How can we as simple human beings who are so flawed and so weak, how can we approach God with a sense of boldness and ask anything of him? Well, the response to that is how has God initiated relationship with you? If you take a look at what he has done, 
is, is he has interacted with humanity all throughout human history, and he never needed to do that. There was nothing required of him to do that. The first time that we spat in his face, he could have ended it right there. But instead, he chose to reach out and say, I love you, I care for you, and I want to see you set free. And then Jesus came, and he lived a human life, something that is, it, we can never fully appreciate. Somebody who never had to do anything in his life because he had restrictions in place. If he wanted something, he thought about it, and then it happened. Being as a human being on this earth, the first time he stubbed his toe, that's the first time that he realized, oh my goodness, human beings have had to deal with pain, and this is what it feels like. The first time that he had been uh, a part of something and he couldn't fully enact on his deity, all of these restrictions that he faced as a human being, that's a bold gesture. And the Bible talks about that even while we were in the midst of our rebellion, Christ came and died for us. So how do we respond to that? We understand that we don't have anything to fear. We don't have anything to hold ourselves back from because Christ has so boldly initiated a relationship with us, we couldn't possibly respond in a way that is too bold. He has already set the bar too high. So for us, we can respond with a level of confidence knowing Okay, we're good. Christ has made this bold invitation on our behalf. We can respond boldly back. Hebrews chapter 4 says we can respond boldly. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. There was a bold request that was made here on, on Ruth. The second thing that we see is a healthy respect. A healthy respect for God's law and direction. Let's continue with verse 10. It says, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This is Boaz speaking. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will, not, I will do for all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning he will redeem you. And if he redeems you, good, let him do it. But if not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives... I will redeem you, lie down until morning. And so he acknowledges, Boaz acknowledges to Ruth, all of the townsmen have acknowledged you. They have said, that is a decent and good woman. This is somebody, everyone wants to be in my position right now. 
So I understand this and I want to do it. However, according to the law, it has to be the nearest relative. And so while I might be an eighth cousin somewhere down the line, there is somebody who is a first cousin who has that first opportunity to respond. I don't want to take what is not mine, so I can't buy your land and I cannot pursue you as a husband, not yet because I respect God's law, I respect his ways, and I want to make sure that they are followed. I think for a lot of us who would be put in that situation, I think a lot of us would have talked ourselves into that situation and thinking, you know what, I'm a relative. It's fine. Why not go over there and do that? I'm doing something good. I'm giving them back their land. I am, I'm responding to her invitation. That's also good. But here we find Boaz has some connection and some commitment to something that is higher than, higher than the earthly circumstances around him. He finds himself with a healthy respect for God's law. And I think a lot of times, for myself at least, I find myself with an awful lot of excuses. There's a reason why it's okay for me to continue on this way, even though I know it's inappropriate. Because after all, I'm not doing blank. At least it's not this. And we find in the Gospels, Jesus saying over and over and over again, you heard it said that if you do not do this, do not do blank, do not have sex outside of marriage. And Jesus said, I tell you, if you lust after a woman in your heart, then you have already committed adultery. Bible says, do not murder. But Jesus says, if you have hate in your heart, then you have already committed murder in your heart. How many of you are willing to admit that you're a murderer today? No one's ever hated anybody before. It's not my proudest moment, but there are times where I found that my heart condition is one of intense evil, and I try to excuse it for whatever reason. And God is calling us today, and he has come and say, I need you to have a healthy respect for the law, not because it saves you. I have saved you. You couldn't fulfill the law. I came, I fulfilled it, you have been set free. Now you are empowered to respect my law, respect my will, respect my ways, and now use the law not as a further form of bondage, but as guidelines to direct you to further freedom. So many of us today could be free if we just have a healthy respect for what God is trying to do in our life. We want the salvation part of it, and we think that that is going to be enough for us in this life. And in reality, salvation is just the beginning step where you continue to say to God over and over and over again, what is it that you need to to do in my life, and how can I respond in obedience? Some of us need to get back to a healthy respect acknowledging that God has put these things in place not to ensnare us, not to enslave us, 
but to make us free and free for all of eternity. There was a bold request. There was a healthy respect. There was also a glorious redemption. We continue on in chapter 4, and we're going to pick up at verse 9. And to just give you a little bit of a background of what's going on here is Boaz has now initiated talks with the other relative who is closer, the other one who has the right, according to the law, to act, to take responsibility for Ruth. And so he has reached out to this man, and he's reached out to the elders, and they are now having a chat. What are we going to do here? Boaz is saying, I would love to take responsibility of this, but I don't want to take what's mine. Are you interested? That man responded, no, I don't think so. I have enough on my plate. In fact, if I take this, I might endanger other things that I have. In fact, I'm just going to say, you can take her. You can take this land. And so Boaz responded with, uh, responded and said, yep, I'm happy about this. I'm going, to, I'm going to move forward. And that's where we see in verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from all the people. You are witnesses. Hey, I said that again. I have bought from the hand of Naomi. See, that's when you do when you go down to the next verse. That's how you read. In case anyone was struggling like I am, you go one line and then you go to the next one. So we're going to do this again. And good luck to us all. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all, of, all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilon and Malon and also Ruth the Moabite the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gates, from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day Then all the people who were at the gate and elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel, may you act worthily of Eprathaha. That's how it sounded in my head. You can pronounce it however the way you'd like. When we all get together in heaven someday, we'll ask Jesus who was right. And so you act worthily of that guy. And he be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, became his wife, and she went to her, and the Lord gave her conception and bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be, the, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. 
Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the, woman, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So we see here in that very long passage that I struggled through, we see somebody who was really low at the beginning of the book of Ruth. And we see an even lower point for Naomi. Naomi who lost her husband, lost both of her sons, had nothing to her name and is now moving back to Israel, a place that she hasn't been to in years. She was really low. And then you have Ruth that followed her and didn't really have much leg to stand on, didn't have much that she could do to help support. And as we discussed last week, she trusted in God and she worked really hard. And now we are here and Boaz has redeemed her, has set her free. And so now her husband's land has now been returned back to her family. All the debts that came with that, they've been canceled. All of the things that life came along through nothing, through nothing there was nothing self-destructive about the way she lived her life, that all these things were taken away. Life just happened. And, and she lost everything. All of that had been restored to her. And now she is finding herself having a child. She has been fully redeemed, having the privilege of living in a, health, in, a, in, a, in a wealthy home. For us today, there is a glorious redemption waiting for us. Where we have had this, uh, we've had all of this uh, stuff that has happened in our life, being beaten down, being rejected, being despised, being in constant need and want. For some of us, we wonder, when is all of this going to end? When is it finally going to be that I will have relief? I wonder, I mean, I think a lot of us know what that looks like. But I think sometimes it helps to have this visualization of really what it means to go through life and then to have somebody redeem you and make you whole and new once again. Let's take a look at this video clip. new, beloved, free, happy, beautiful. But the world, it beat me up, rejected me. different. 
not pretty enough. Not good enough. Unworthy. Today, we see a redemption that has taken place in the that had taken place in the life of Ruth. In the end verses of that passage that we looked at, we saw that because of her offspring, there came Jesse, and because of Jesse's offspring, came David. And if you continue to follow that through the line, eventually we have Jesus Christ. And today I want to tell you that, uh, that a part of your great day of emancipation rests solely in the fact that Jesus is our redeemer. Just like Boaz redeemed Ruth and made her whole and new once again, Christ has come to us nothing more than a dirty teddy bear that has been dragged through the mud that has had its limbs told and uh, that has been has its limbs pulled and torn to have the scrapes up and down us to the point where people have looked at us and said I don't even know if I find you worthy or valuable anymore May I say to you today that the word of God says that Jesus looks at you and says, I love you. You are mine. If no one else is willing to claim you, I'll claim you. And even if someone else is claiming you, please know that I will treat you far better than anyone else ever could. I will do for you far more than what anyone else could ever do. Please accept this invitation. I want you to come to me and to know me as Redeemer. So for many of us today, what does that look like? What does that mean for us? If you're here today, and you haven't really thought through what that looks like to follow Christ and to acknowledge him as somebody who takes your brokenness and makes you whole, if you are not aware that there is a need for your sins and for your frailties and for your rebellion against God to be forgiven, if all of this is new to you, may I say that this is your day of celebration, of salvation, 
of being set free. For some of us, we have been followers of Christ for various different periods of time. Some of us have been followers of Christ for years. And some of us have been followers of Christ within the last couple of years. My question to you today is, are you free? Are you living as if you have been set free? Or do you continue, for your choices of your own, live in a set of bondage, never fully accomplishing what Christ has called you to do? This is your day to be set free. This is your day to run back to your Redeemer and actually allow him to do what he has been wanting to do all your life. Will you bow your heads with me?